Uh, first disclaimer before we uh, begin, I, um, I'm bringing less and less CDs every time I come as I'm running out. So I had a moral dilemma. I'm one of the most outspoken critics of the Internet. So when I told him to print the card, a guy in the shul put all the shurim online for free, which isn't very good for sales, but it's great for our butts terror. And uh, I told him, do me a favor, if you're putting in a card, please put a note, proper use of the Internet requires a filtering program. You really should have added accountability as well. So um, anybody who's not going on the Internet, there are a bunch of these cards out there. You can help yourselves. Anybody who's not going on, don't go on for this. It's not worth it. Anybody who's on anyway, if you have a proper filter and accountability program, then you can help yourself. The first 600 shirim were uploaded. We have another few hundred to organize. So um, uh, you can help yourselves, and there'll be a few hundred cards out there, and please uh, give it out to your friends. I can't think of a more perfect day for today's subject. Actually, Dobbin, that it should be 65 degrees and sunny, so everybody's in a good mood. Um, Baruch Hashem, Mamish doesn't get better than this. And there was not, coming from Muncie, there was not a car on the road. Mamish straight door-to-door. Uh, -door. Uh, today's topic, going Mechayel L'chayel. I forget the exact nusach. Anybody have a uh, flyer? Uh, they don't print them anymore. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's on the internet, okay. Uh, uh, it was uh, something about uh, how well we're doing and how well we're going to do. So uh, it's uh, very important that everybody be in the proper frame of mind. And uh, my first disclaimer for the shear is that uh, most of you know me and most of you, I think, know that I know what's going on in the world. And I also know what's going on in the community. And whenever I talk about how well things are doing, people ask me afterwards, did you read the paper lately? <laughs> like, do you know what's going on in the community? Do you know what's going on in your shul? Do you know what's going on anywhere? So the answer before I discuss this is yes, I know exactly what's going on. And I still maintain, as you will hear over the next hour, that we are doing incredibly well off the charts. Already I hear some disagreement. The reason why it's important to know this is because if you start listening to the complainers, we had plenty of them in last week's Parsha, and you start listening to the pessimists, and you start listening to the naysayers, and there's going to be very little motivating us to continue doing what we're doing and even reach further. So the first thing you have to do is correct the misconception. I hear this all the time, and it's, it's very annoying. Everything is terrible, and everything stinks, and we're doing so horribly. Why can't they fix this up? And don't these yeshivas know anything about chinuch, and what's the matter with these machanchim, and why can't they learn how to run a shul, and this gabbai doesn't know what he's doing? And everything is horrible. So I'm dafka happy the hakko came after last week's parsha because we finished with the misanim and the asaf suf and all the other people. Anybody who's even slightly related to them can leave now uh, because you're not going to enjoy what we're talking about today. It's extremely important, not important, crucial for our Vedas Hashem to understand this, believe in it first, I guess prove it first, then believe in it, then internalize it, and preach it to others. When you get people involved in a simchadikah way, and people are really onto the program because they think it's working, 
then you have a much more successful model. Uh, those of you in corporate America, I'm sure they hire people for $1,000 a pop to come and speak to you about these things, about uh, encouraging your team and uh, working with each other. So Lahabda was true in uh, corporate America, is true, Chochmah B'gayim Taimit is true in getting anything done in a proper way. I also said that I'm a realist. I know what's going on, I believe I do. I hear probably more tsaris, Leolainu, and more troubles of what's going on on a Yachal level, on a Kaldiyazdikal level, than almost anybody sitting here, I think any Rav does. Uh, you hear a lot of problems. Most of the people, when things correct themselves, don't always call back. I'm not blaming them. Life gets busy. So you just hope that um, things got better. You hope the people you're davening for are either alive or are getting better. Sometimes I find out 20 years later they were no longer here for a long time. So you have to, as a point of encouragement to the people you're going for AIDS, just as a parenthetical uh, comment, uh, you have to share the good news as well. If you don't and you constantly talk about the pressures and the bad news and all the horrible things that are going on, and you weigh everybody down. Again, Rabbanim are supposed to be somewhat uh, used to it because that's most of what we hear. But the good news is that I believe that I'm accurately describing the community when I say that despite all the issues and all the mumim and all the troubles that we have, we're doing better in most areas than we have done in a long time. And I'm not the only one who holds like this. You probably saw this, for those of you who didn't, I mentioned this in the shul, a lot of people didn't see it. I uh, almost never quote, as a matter of fact, uh, probably never quote from the New York Times. It's uh, usually muxo machmas mius, in case you ever think of discussing it, uh, touching it on Shabbos, just know where it stands in hochas muxa. Um, and once every 100, 150 years, they actually have an article that makes sense and that is complementary to Orthodox Jews. Uh, this is written by a Jew. And the reason I am sure a lot of you heard of this or saw it is because the, um, the plot takes place here in Flappush. And uh, for a not yet from individual, he hopped everything in one short tour of the pomegranate. This is not a paid advertisement. You can shop wherever you want. Um, but the backdrop of the article happens to be in that store. If you saw the article, I'd like to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'd like to um, highlight for you certain parts, which, again, the Yid, as soon as I looked into it, I, I, the name looked a little Jewish. I investigated, Itaki is Jewish. Uh, and um, he, uh, Gainus, in terms of the inside of touching up everything that's going right. And I was, uh, I don't get the New York Times, somebody sent this to me. And um, I was reading and reading, waiting for where it's going to go south. And he's going to start attacking and criticizing. And lo and behold, he just ended the article just on a positive note. So that was the shock of the year for me. Let me share with you his impression, because if somebody gets up from the firm community and says, we're doing fantastic, you sort of say, you know, maybe it's a pep talk. You know, maybe it's not that real. So here we have somebody from the outside and his observations. In Midwood, Brooklyn, you know he's a foreigner already if he says Midwood. Nobody calls it Midwood in the front. It's Flatbush. Okay, that's what he meant. Midwood, Brooklyn, there's a luxury kosher grocery store called the Pomegranate. 
He's discussing some of the things he saw on the aisle. The snack section is impressive. We don't realize in from stores we have like 90% snack section and 10% other food. They don't, they don't have that in regular stores. Uh, so that struck him right away. He said, whoa, that's a lot of potato chips. So he says, there's a long aisle bursting with little bags of chips and pretzels suitable for putting into school lunch boxes. That's important because Orthodox Jews spend a lot of time packing school lunches. Okay, so he's already, he already knows what's going on a little bit. Nationwide, only 21% of non-Orthodox Jews between the ages of 18 and 29 are married, Nebuch. An astounding 71% of Orthodox Jews are married at that age is probably higher. They're having four or five kids per couple. That might be higher also. In the New York City area, the Orthodox makes, make up 32% of the Jews all over, but the Orthodox make up 61% of Jewish children. That's double. In a few years, they will be the dominant group in New York Jewry. Another really impressive thing about the store is not found in one section, but is pervasive throughout. There's a specialty product designed around this or that aspect of Jewish law. There are dairy-free cheese puffs in case you want to have some cheese puffs with a meat dish. There are pre-cut disposable tablecloths so you don't have to use scissors on Shabbos. There are, special, there are specially designed sponges which don't retain water, so you don't have to do the work of squeezing out water on Shabbos. Pomegranate looks like any island of upscale consumerism, but deep down it's based on a counterculture understanding of how life should work. Now here he gets into the panemius of the ruchnius. Those of us in secular America live in a culture that takes the supremacy of the individual autonomy as a given. For people who shop at pomegranate, the collective covenant with God is the primary reality and obedience to the law is the primary obligation. They go shopping like the rest of us, but their shopping is minutely governed by an external moral order. Uh, we eat and they eat, and we go shopping and they go shopping, and we go to work and they go to work. But when we eat and go shopping and go to work, we're being Avid Hashem. Pretty good for somebody who's not yet from to recognize that. The laws infuse everyday acts with spiritual significance. The laws are generally internalized to a system of lifelong study. In Orthodox society, young adults have an obligation to marry and perpetuate the covenant. First and foremost, marriage is about continuity and transmission. All of us navigate certain tensions between community and mobility, autonomy and moral order. The family stuffing their grocery into their Honda Idacy minivans in the pomegranate parking lot represent a challenging counterculture. Uh, he, he holds it's challenging. He holds that this like a cash on all of America. Like all of America is running on it. They're running after nothing. And these people are shopping and they're taka challenge. Mostly, this is his uh, finale. I noticed how incredibly self-confident they are. There's an outsider looking at uh, Orthodox Jews like we go uh, and look at fish in a fish tank. Right? So he's looking and uh, fish in a fish tank don't look very self-confident. As a matter of fact, they look a little nervous to me. And here these people are walking around with what to him is being, should be bearing down under the old mitzvahs. And they look so proud so full of life, so happy. It comes to conclusion, the reason this is, once dismissed as relics, they now feel that they are the future. That's all of American Jewry in one line. 
Mamish Goynes. 50 years ago, no one was talking like this. Not from the inside and not from the outside. The Rabbanim weren't getting up and making drushes like this because that wasn't the battlefront and it wasn't even true. And this Yid figured out that we have taken everything we do here in America, the Gashmi is okay, Yesh Darshan, the Gashmi is over the top, it's too, too high, too low, I'm not getting into that now. It's a different, different battle. But Lamaisa, if he understands that when we're shopping, we're thinking of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and we're thinking of Milchiks and Fleishiks and Parv and Yashur and Chal of Yisrael, it's really somewhat secondary what we're buying. And I agree with him 100%. I think that we take for granted, here you're in Flatbush, and you're in Muncie, and you're in Lakewood, you're surrounded by from people. So you take for granted that, of course, this is a way of life. Of course, uh, you've you got to go shopping, and uh, you're going to work, and you're doing all these things. And we don't realize how well we're doing. We don't realize we're thinking of a Kosh Baruch all day. We're at work. A thousand Shilas come up. And we are naturally, as B'nai Yeshiva, as B'nai Teira, Beis Yaakov graduates, we're naturally attuned to have an aversion to Tuma and to Tarfus and to look the other way whenever we're pounded with all the preachers. And the only downside is we're so used to it that we say, okay, that's all in a day's work. Um, I don't think that's necessarily something to be proud of. Well, he thinks it is. He thinks if a yid can get up in the morning and run to davening and run to learn and run to work or run to kail or run to yeshiva, wherever he's running, or a super mom can be dealing with all the kids at home and sometimes wanting to work after that and do all this without the misaninin, without the complaining, without looking for trouble, without looking for tainas, that he feels and I feel we're doing extremely well. To translate this into raising the bar of our Asiyah's mitzvahs, I quote to you from our Pam. Pam in his Agadah points out three examples, it points out more, I'll just quote three of them. The first one, the reason it's not Agadah, is it has to do with a Pesach Mishra, Peshalosh Kitas. You're familiar with the Mishnah? There are three shifts for the Korban Pesach. And you need, you need three, testing, 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 or better, testing, testing, okay. You need three shifts because L'Chairi, you can't fit everybody in the room at the same time, even though there could have been an ace. And... The Mishnah describes that, that shift number one, very crowded, shift number two, very crowded, and shift number three was called the Kat Atzlanis, the lazy bones. So the Gemara says, well, if you don't have enough space for all three and one, and you need three, somebody's got to be last. So why are you calling them lazy bones? So the Gemara answers, they should have practiced more Zrizus. Now, the way we think often is, well, there can be three shifts anyway, and there's no L'chatchil and What difference does it make? I can't fit in. I already know from past experiences the third shift is a lot more room for, for maneuvering. So why should I go to the first one? 
So Rapam points out that the Gemara has some very insulting things to say about people who think that way. Why? It's very practical. They have more room to maneuver. I'm shechting a car in Pesach. I'm trying to move around and have the dumb going back. It's a much more uh, geschmack. And it's much more geschmack, but if you're excited about something, you get up early to do it because you're excited about it. I had the strangest announcement my Gabbai made last night. My Gabbai is, used to be the Gabbai here. After, after Dvar Lachem before Meir, he said, by show of hands, anybody want a 6.30 minion? I thought he fell on his head. 6.30 minion on Memorial Day? So, so um, he didn't get much of a show of hands, but like seven, eight hands went up right away. I thought that was amazing. So we didn't, I said, you need 12. He asked me if that's a new din. I said, no, but you need 12. And we didn't get 12. And I went over to the few of the guys whose hands shot up right away. I said, uh, were you guys having an early dafyemi? They said, yeah, in Harriman Park. <laughs> so I said, what's going on? He said, we're going running. I said, that's very good. Mamish, Zriza is getting up. I said, what time are you getting up? He said, well, we're not just going to slide into Minion. We've got to be up. So we're getting up around a quarter to six. We're going to dive in and we're going to pack up and we're going on our bicycles. Kavaldik. So just think of Harriman Park the next time your alarm goes off for Dafyemi or for the Old Dominion when it's not Memorial Day. I thought that was godless. To be able to have the Simchas I don't know. That's fine. You Memorial Day, do some exercise. I can't think of a better way besides the eight hours of learning they're going to do afterwards. I can't find a better way to spend the day. So that's our pound's first example. Lamaisa, you can't be the Atzlanim. You have a Cheshbenis. Well, yeah, it's more convenient, better. It doesn't make a difference. You've got to be first. Then he brings down Lamaisa from the Biskarov that he heard from Menachem Parish. He used to be Chavar Knesset. Very close to the Biskarov. And he got a call from the Biskarov one air of Shabbos, right before Shabbos. And he said, please come by. I need to speak to you. It's very, very urgent. So it's odd. Bear Shabbos, okay. Well, it wants to take care of it. So runs over the house. And uh, he told, the Biskarov told him that uh, the so-and-so needs uh, something and you've got to help him out. Can you please contact the government offices as soon as you can? Very, very surprised. He said, Rebbe, it's an hour before Shabbos. Everything's closed. And uh, I can only take care of this Sunday morning. What was the big rush? The Briskarov said a big Yishakayach for the Bracha. So now he's really confused. He said, what Bracha, where Bracha? So he says, you just gave me a Bracha that I'm going to live till Sunday morning. It's a whole different way of looking at life. So now Apam says, it's not only about excitement. This is about mitzvah bal atach Nobody has a contract. And if you have something to do, you've got to do it right away. And part of not taking for granted, again, our from lifestyle, we have so much opportunity. We can do whatever we want. We have Memorial Day. There are no pogroms. There are no persecutions. You go up and you can learn. You can go to Shir. You can go bike riding. You can do whatever you want. And whatever I can do today, I can do tomorrow. So Biskarov says there is no such thing. If you have something to take care of, take care of it right away because you might not be in a position to take care of it tomorrow. Third raya, among many he brings, is from David Amelach. David Amelach asked the Navi, this Masilafi to me, he wasn't asking for a psak as a Navi, he was his personal Navi. 
comes to the Navi and he says, you know, I finished with all the battles, it's time to build a base of Mikdash. It's not right, I'm in a fancy palace and there's no base of Mikdash, I'm going to get going. Navi says, great idea. Shem comes to the Navi that night and says, yeah, I'll be Seichel, it's a great idea, but you don't know what's going on in Shemayim. It's a great idea, but David can't do it. For reasons which we still don't comprehend, either did David, something to do with the fact he was a man of war and you needed East Shalom to build it, so it had to be Shalom the son. So the Navi was told in the middle of the night, this is two in the morning, Navi told in the middle of the night, get up now and go back to the palace and knock on David's door and wake him up. This is a melech. Wake him up and tell him Hashem said no. So the Navi said, why should I wake him up? That's two in the morning. He said, he's going to build it, which means he got to contact the architect. It's a lot to do over here. You know, you got to put up a groundbreaking ceremony, something. It's going to take a few weeks. And Hashem said, no, you don't know Avdi David. If he has an idea, he's not sleeping now. He's on the phone now hiring people. And you have to make him undo everything. Navi thought that was a Kiddush Nifla. And he shows up in the middle of the night and Taka David was well on his way. And the measure says you've got to stop him well on his way in his planning, but you know, at least he didn't hire people yet. It was two in the morning, but he's well on his way. And David said, okay, I don't really understand why, but it's a good thing you got here. That is an Ebed Hashem. To jump up with Zrizus, with Simcha, assuming you don't necessarily have time tomorrow, Rahman al-Islam, and to take care of it right away and show that this is the most important thing in the world for you. a quote from Chaim Velozhner. Chaim Velozhner deals with the flip side. We don't always get up every single day in a great mood. Not every time the alarm rings are we jumping else to be realistic. Uh, this is to try to encourage us. And not every morning is that going to happen. You're not always going to jump out of bed and dance your way to the kitchen for your coffee. People have issues. Everybody has their peckle. And just as it's important in life to know how to be bezrizus and besimcha and to understand how much you have and how much HaKadosh Baruch has given us in this dar, you also have to know what to do when things aren't going well and you're down. It happens to everybody. You could say after this year, no one's ever going to be down. Halavai. Ken ye ratzam v'namer amen. But in realistic day-to-day uh, -day affairs, it doesn't work that way. What do you do when you're down? This is very important, so listen carefully. It's, it's Kedai to um, really memorize this because it happens to everybody. The question is how often and what's the duration once it happens? And the duration is the problem. Is shaking yourself out of it is not so easy. So there are two Mahalchem people have. Chaim Velazhina says one is correct and one is incorrect. The easy mahalach, which many people think is right, is that, look, I'm down, things aren't going well, I'm going back to sleep. Well, sometimes you wake up on the wrong side of bed, so uh, the people who are smart know you still got to get out and get going. The other people say, no, it's a simim in a shamayim. Everybody gets from in the strangest areas. It's a simim in a shamayim. This is not my day, I'm going to sleep through it. And then there are people who sleep through days and sleep through weeks, not 24 hours in a shot, but they go into hibernation. They say, look, the Russian Hashem is not smiling on me right now, which is not true, but that's the way people feel. And Mamela, I'm just going to write it out and um, wake me up when it's a different kufa. 
Archaim Balashana says, the Adam who tamid ayleviyered, there are ups and downs in life. Be'es yiridasai, when he's down, or when she's down, nidmolai ki kalmasha isa achshav menatarim and avayda, enal klaa balev shalim. So he thinks, when I'm down, he says, this is not Vedas Hashem. I'm going to learn now. I'm going to dive in now. I'll zip to it, but it doesn't mean anything right now. But my heart's not in it. So therefore, I'm not going to be a faker. This is all the rationalization that we have. And Mokhaim Velazhner heard it from people. He just wants to go back to sleep. And then he feels he'll get his reasons back in time. He'll just sleep to it now, in a month, a month from now, in a week from now, in a year from now. It'll come back. Many people, especially B'nai Ter, the Yitzhar, wants to get us off track. It doesn't want us to learn. So anything that'll get us off track, Yitzhar has his target. Anybody who's learning is that target. See, this is what most people think. Chaim Velazhina says it's not true. A single incident or a single happening that can send you in the wrong direction can also give you an uptick. And instead of going to sleep, instead of giving up, I'm not accusing anybody, no one's going to give up forever, but we'll give up for the time being and start again some other time. The slightest uptick can put you back in a good mood. People forget that. You ask them, what got you in a bad mood? I don't really remember, but uh, often it's a small thing. It just trips you up and then it starts going down. It's so the same thing that sent you down. The Chai Velazhina says, a small thing can pick you up. So you can go back up pretty quickly. Rather do Avedis Hashem in your lazy down state than quit for a day or two or an hour or two or a week or two. Because if you just close down, it's very hard to get back. Which means that when this comes, you have to realize that whatever the problems are now, by and large, they're a fraction of what they were 100 years ago in world Jewry. And that's true. Somebody told me recently, he says, no, everybody's going off the derech. I said, oh, really? Everybody's going off the derech. I remember... Again, I'm not uh, one, one neshama going off the derech is one too many. And, it, and there's a problem out there. I, I, can't, I can't stress that enough. I'm not, I'm not glossing over the problems. I just want to put it in perspective. I remember when the Jewish Observer wrote their famous, it wasn't an article, it was like a whole, remember that? Too? I don't know, was that 10, 15 years ago? They wrote a whole magazine, they had a follow-up, they kept reprinting it, all about kids at risk and, and the issues. I remember speaking... To Rabbi Yitzhak Midnik, you all know him? He's a flappish. He's one of the big ice cream, probably still is then, close friend of mine. He told me, he said, don't say this Barabim, which is exactly why I'm doing it now. Uh, because the people won't believe you and they think you're glossing over the problem. But at the time the article was written, which you would think is the height of the problem, they're writing about it. He said, I can get them all into one room. Okay, a big room. A very big room. But I don't need Madison Square Garden. And we were discussing it then. My shul's on Ocean Parkway and Avenue M. That's where the article was written. <laughs> that was the, uh, Mitnick is a block up. It's a heart of Flappish. 
And his concern was that the more we paint this picture that everybody's going off the derech, the more we give rise to such a scenario. There's a, a very delicate balance in life between discussing the problems openly and dealing with them versus over discussing and overplaying your hand that it becomes a problem because everybody says everybody's doing it anyway. Uh, there's only one problem you can almost not over discuss and that's internet, by the way. That you can't overplay your hand. Because there's aim bias a shame shamez. There nobody's exempt. So you can't you can't overdo describing what a danger that is. But in terms of we're talking about statistics. Look, just go to a manal, look at the yeshivas, look at the basakis, and look at a sample class and see how many people five, ten, fifteen, twenty years later are from. I've discussed this with professionals. It's mind-boggling. It's very sad. And I asked them, well, g give, me, give me the number you think it is. Well, it's probably, we're losing 35%. 35%? Are you crazy? 35%? not losing 35%. I mean, you all went to yeshiva. You have your friends here. 35%? Okay, there might be, might vary in the yeshiva. There might be some a little more, some a little, some a little bit less. I'm looking back, my yeshiva, Masifta, Beis Medrash, uh, we're running about uh, 98%. She said, I must have had a class of all tzaddikim and Yeah, that's Dafka, the class they gave me, because I deserved it. 98, 99, 95, 90, 85, I'll give you whatever. Show me a system that's 90% successful. Show me any system that's 90% successful. Show me a system 85% successful. Yeah, you have, to, you have to realize what numbers we're talking about, what, what we're kind of hurricane year, but what we're producing over here. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the, the Rashivas and the Rabbanim of the Kikash, I'm talking about the, the Balabatim. I'm talking about the Bnei Teira, who happened to have a need to take a few hours of their day off to, uh, to work and do the mitzvah of uh, supporting their family. And the Nashim Sitkaniyas, who are raising such wonderful families, L'Shem Lusiferis. You want to talk about a problem where more than 10% of the people are going off the derech, just rewind to Europe before the war, when Haskalah started. You want to talk about bad numbers, then we lost 80%. Chayisol used to be 100% firm or 95, now it's about 20-25. So yes, there was a tufa that we lost within 100-200 years, we lost 75%. That's a staggering number. That's not what's going on now. Just There are people who are saying, such and her, Shemra, are not only on people, on systems, on yeshivas, on besiakas. You know what, in Aveira, they don't lush and her on, on, on millions of people. And I hear people, I'm, as a rob, they come to me and they, they, they have eitzes. So they come to me to share their eitzes. So I say, before you share your eitzes, what problem are we fixing? So the answer is always, Klai Yisrael, everything's going wrong, everything's broken, all the yeshivas are broken, the seminars are broken, everything's broken. So I said, oh good, you have an eitzes for something where everything's broken, I'd like to hear what it is. First thing, before you suggest an eitzes, you've got to know what the problem is. You've got to quantify the problem. You've got to qualify the problem. You've got to figure out who's being affected. And you've got to figure out where mass hysteria is called for and where it's not called for. And there are many people from the outside, Nebuchadnezzar, Ashana, Apirish, if somebody is off, so they're going to come back and they're going to point out all the, all the blemishes, all the warts, all the movement, everything. And they're all true. But that's not the picture that you look at. You look at the entire picture with the 5% problems, 10% problems, 15% problems. You've got to have the balanced picture. It's 
of the worst order when you listen to this and you agree. Now, I understand the magazines out there who, uh, you know, if you print an article too often that everything is great, they're not going to sell too many newspapers. I understand that. So if you have a magazine, they just have an article, smile, it's 65 degrees and sunny. You live at the best time in Jewish history. So that's going to be a very short article. Well, if they reprint this rush, it'll be uh, about an hour long. But it doesn't sell. People say, well, come on, you've got to have something to, to, to work on. There's plenty to work on. First, come in with the right attitude. There's a quote I, uh, I used in Shear, I think it was about nine years ago, so maybe you don't remember it. Uh, I don't know who wrote this, but it's, um, it's a, brilliant, uh, a brilliant zug. Pessimists usually claim they're only being realists. Nobody wants to be called a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. I just know what's going on in the world. I'm realistic. I'm like Rabbi Viner, who's glossing over everything. I'm not a pessimist. And the facts usually are on their side. There's what to complain about. There's always what to complain about. The optimists gloss over obstacles that are truly there. But once they're on a given path, they'll usually persevere, while the pessimists usually live out their self-fulfilling prophecies. That's what we just said in the last 20 minutes in one line. If you, again, overplay the hand and you draw just focusing on the problems, the problems of what you're doing, what you're doing, then you get the misimpression that everything is taka broken. It certainly is not. The Ayelot HaShachar has a very interesting uh, part that he quotes from the Briska Rav. He quotes, starts off by quoting a Meshachachma. Nefesh HaShasu Bukhar and Abba Vina spent many decades being Makaira people. Where in the world do they all go? Famous Kasha. What happened to all? They went down to Mitzrayim. There were only uh, 70 Nefesh and they don't make mention of all the Tamidim and the entourage. Where did everybody go? So the Zaya says that these Nefesh HaShasu Bukhar and all the Nishamas, the future game, the Taka went back to the woodworks but they resurfaced uh, over the centuries. Others say it's not Shreya in the first place because uh, Avram Vina wasn't Megayar them to Yiddishkeit. They just Makabazayim uh, and they went back home and they lived wherever they lived. Meshachachma says, read to his Lushen here, Shalatzarech litztair la'amol, the message of this Nefesh HaSavacharin is if you work at something even for many years and it doesn't seem to have worked out as well as you wanted it to, meaning they floated back, Afilu even after that they went and they went off. You shouldn't say, ah, I spent 30 years doing this. It's all down the drain. Do The reason you can't talk like that is because you did the mitzvah of trying. And he quotes in the Biskarov, actually he quotes in the Salanter, I'm sorry. Our job is just to do, not to accomplish. And we try to put our efforts into doing and accomplishing. But, Lamaisa, you can get depressed if you work at something and you have a whole binion going and then it doesn't work. We've had this working with children, we've had this working sometimes loyalena, sometimes with their own children, sometimes you had it in projects. You're working, 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 the short term it doesn't go. It doesn't make a difference. And he quotes at the end, Taka the Briskarov, that there was once a Machanach who came to him and he had a yeshiva for Bochram who were off and he tried to bring them back or almost off. Um, he spent many, many, many months with them, and then at the end, most of them, Taka didn't hold on to them. 
came to the Biskarov and said, why am I wasting my time? Biskarov told him, let me ask you a question. The four months they were in yeshiva, did they say Kriya Shema once or twice? They come to davening once or twice? They come to Shia once or twice? He said, yeah, they float in and out. He says, it's already die for all the effort. Again, the Yetzirah wants us to always minimize our accomplishment and be magdil our failures. HaKash Baruch Hu wants us to recognize the failures, be magdil them, put them in a very small box, and be magdil our accomplishments. It has nothing to do with gaiva. It has nothing to do with not being realistic. It has to do with the human condition that if we don't realize we're succeeding, we're not going to be pushed further. One more example, with David Amalek himself, we just mentioned David Amalek got a no, loy with an olive, you can't build a base of Mikdush. Rosh Ashkenaz starts off, Bezukat Zimra, we call this top building in America. Starts off, Mizma Shia Chanukah Sabayis Ladavid. Do you ever stop to wonder why it starts with that? Even though Sasfarid has it relatively at the beginning. Why start with this? The famous Kashi has Mizma Shech Hanukkah Sabayis Ladavid. It doesn't really talk about the base of Mikdash. What does that have to do with Hanukkah Sabayis Ladavid? So I mentioned this once, I think back in the Tvilash year, going back a decade ago. It's a hafla de kavart because it gives a new focus on what we're davening for. We, we think we're davening for success. Now Hashem says, no, it must be we're not worthy and we're not zechem, we're bad people. We're not bad people. We're very good people. If Hashem says, no, it's not good for us. David Amalek spent his entire life with one goal. To fight the Muhammad Hashem, to secure the borders, to make Yidin safe in Israel, so that he can usher in the era of the Mashiach and build the Mesometers. That was his whole goal. He worked for five decades for that. All he had in mind, Finally have peace. The wars are over. He's getting on in years. And he tells the Navi, now's the time, and we're going to build the base of Mikdash, and we're going to usher in the golden era of Yiddishkeit. Taka became the golden era, but the answer, as we said before, was no. And a lesser man would have been completely crushed. What do you mean no? I spent, this is not a, a thought on a whim, this is not a plan I came up with yesterday. I've been working for 50 years for this. This is the whole, my whole Taka Sachayim. And then Hashem said no. So what happens when you have a Tachas and Hashem says no? So you realize that there's 612 other things you can call Tachas Hashem. Hashem said no, obviously I'm supposed to work in some other area, but it's Hashem. So David Amalek writes a capital, Mizma Shia Chanukah Sabayis David, recognizing that Hashem has been with me the entire time, I've been through a lot, and Hashem saved me at every opportunity. And if Hashem saved me and wants me alive, obviously I still have what to do even though I'm not building the base of Mikdash. So he starts off, yes, the topic is Hanukkah Sabayis Ladavid, the bias I didn't build. I didn't build it at all. I didn't get a chance. I wasn't, didn't have a shus. I have to look back and see what I have to thank Hashem for. He saved me time and time again from Sholem, from all my enemies. Malachi, Shivati Allah and the entire capital talks about how low he was and how Hashem saved him. And now I should be, I am and I should be dancing. Ah, you just said no. I should be depressed. The answer is, David Melech understood. 
I'm only depressed if I think that I get to decide what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. If it's not up to me, it's up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a whole different ball of wax. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides what's best. I believe this is why we start davening with this. We're about to daven for many things. We're about to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for many things. Some of them Hashem will say yes. Much of it Hashem will say no. Somewhere in between Hashem will say wait. At the end of the day, our job is to remain optimistic that Gosh Baruch Hu is not doing this to me because he doesn't like me. I can't tell you how often I have um, a young lady called me last week. She's having difficulties in a certain area. And uh, regular FFB, wonderful, Aishas Chayel. And in the middle of the conversation, she blurted out, I, I don't understand why Hashem hates me so much. Must be I'm really a, really a Rishanta. Some people say that as hyperbole. She meant it. I said, uh, wait a second, let's take a few steps back. We've got we to fix a certain ashkaf over here. There's a concept of tzaddik ra'ala roshav and the fact that you're having this difficulty doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. So she said, doesn't the Gemara say that uh, if you have things happen to you, you're fascist from Isa, you're supposed to look into it? I said, it's a good point, but there's a balance. You have to look. The Yetzirah wants you to look so well that you find so many things, and then you get depressed. That's not what the Gemara wants. The Gemara says, you're from myself. Take a step back. Look for things that need a tikkun. Don't look to find out why you're the world's biggest Russia and Hashem hates you because Hashem is right and you're wrong. That's Asa Sayyetzer. Again, it's all in the balance. Quote a second um, article. This one's already been um, gone through a hechsher already because um, the Madia quoted it. So... Uh, I don't have to be accused, even though it comes from the uh, popular press. Uh, I actually quoted this, I think, and it wasn't here. I think maybe, maybe it was in Irgenshire a year or two ago. But this is also a classic to know what the Goyim are recognizing about us. It's a breath of fresh air. And um, numbers don't lie. So this article is about uh, Gallup. Gallup polls. Milano Gogol, me Gallup. There's nobody, uh, nobody bigger than them. So the Gallup poll, I think this was, the Madia wrote it, it must have been about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, they had an article that uh, Gallup poll discovered that, uh, how many uh, people are there in America now? 300 million, okay. So out of 300 million people in America, Gallup poll, together, believe it or not, with the New York Times, that's two schusim in 150 years. Uh, that's it, it stops there, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, Gallup poll asked the papers to help them search when they came up with the number for the happiest Americans, a one in a 300 million chance. I didn't win, but it was close. The happiest American is a Hawaiian Jew. I kid you not. I'm gonna get that. I kid you not. There's 300 million people, okay? This is all over the country. No. How'd this happen? It's a picture of him here, but that's irrelevant. I'm totally smiling. Uh, Mr. Wong, Mr. Alvin Wong. Uh, results. Results of a 2010 well-being index survey conducted by the Gallup Company was released on Sunday. Company surveyed 352,000 adults. They do their work pretty seriously. 352,000. 840 to be exact. 
Across the country in telephone surveys from January 1st to December 31st, spent a year on this. Phone numbers were selected with random digit sampling. Participants were asked questions regarding personal satisfaction, life situation, emotional health, job satisfaction, physical health, lifestyle choices, a number of finding assigned well-being ratings to geographic and demographic categories. Hawaii, for example, is found to be the happiest state. Don't move there. It's a Shiloh Wete Shabbos. So it's, uh, if you live there already, you've got to pick a place. But uh, if you're visiting, uh, get out by Thursday. Uh, it's, it's a serious problem. I wouldn't want to get into a Shiloh with Shabbos Yantiv between the Chukatinsky and the Chaznish. Uh, there are better Shilohs to pick. But okay, it was voted the happiest state. guess sunshine does help a little bit. The New York Times figure that so many surveys should be enough to paint a statistical portrait of the happiest person in America. So the paper asked Gallup to crunch his data into one most happy person. Pick one guy out of 300 million. So as you already know, it's a little bit slanty. He's got to live in Hawaii. Okay. That already you know for sure. They're not going to come up with a Jew. How many Jews are there in Hawaii already? Gallup obliged, telling the Times the happiest American is a tall, okay, I'll take that. Uh, that's fine. Uh, Asian-American observant Jew who is at least 65 and married, has children, lived in Hawaii, and runs his own business. Okay, except for the Hawaii, you can all grow old in Mitzvah have children to run your own business if you want, and you'll in Mitzvah remain orthodox. The article said that an inquiry to a synagogue in Hawaii resulted in information that indeed local resident Alvin Wong possessed the traits given by Gallup. He's 5'10", a bit over average. He turned 70 in July. He's Chinese, has two children, lives in Honolulu, owns a healthcare management business, and is an Orthodox Jew, having undergone halachic conversion 35 years ago. Okay. Gavaldik. So we wish him out may have Esrim. Uh, you look at the actual Gallup poll, and I printed out the stats, a very fascinating study. Jews and Orthodox Jews came out on top in almost every single angle of the, of the survey. That's the Pella, and they certainly don't love us. So they probably, like what happened with B'nai Haman when Ahasuerus asked them to read uh, the Sefer Divayon of they probably kept turning the pages to find some other result, but uh, they had no choice, and this came out, so they had to print it. Mam Shapella. Well-being index, composite score, Jewish, 69%, at the top of the list. Religion, religious intensity by faith. They have, the, um, they have a list of very religious, moderate religious, and somewhat religious, and they break it down, and they come out with the uh, very obvious conclusion that the more religious they are across the board, the more focused they are on what's important in life. And there's a lesson to be learned over here. And that is, if out of millions and millions of Americans, you was Eicha to be either born from or a Balchuva or a Ger, and you Eicha to be part of a community that, despite what the papers are writing about us, are by and large stellar in their behavior. Yes, even in their midas. Whenever I say that, people raise their eyebrows. I don't know about you, but um, I have a shul, a pretty large shul with lots of people. And um, I, I hope it's not rare for a rough to say it, but I think Kemat, uh, each one is a tachshit. They're uh, hardworking people. I mean hardworking people both in Avaida and then more importantly in their Avaida Hashem. And um, basically balanced. And people who are focused and more or less happy. 
and they don't push and shove normally, and they're pretty honest. And, uh, and whenever I tell this to people, they say, yeah, that's just your shul. I don't, I don't get, uh, I mean, I'd like to hear the comments after the shear, but uh, I believe Rabbi Reisman would say the same thing here in the shul, and I believe that uh, I have a lot of colleagues in the business. I would hope, Taka, some of them don't say it, but they have a few, uh, few scoundrels who are giving them a rough time, but by and large, uh, I, I think that, uh, well, a few scoundrels, more than a few scoundrels? Okay. You're the Gaba. You can throw them out. Uh, uh, I, think, I think, by and large, uh, I'm really not painting a non-realistic picture. I think Kleisel has what it takes to be very proud of what they're doing. I want to make a couple of more points. We only have five minutes left. We live, being that I'm realistic and I know what's going on in the world, we live now in probably the most difficult kufa in Eretz since I come to Medina. This is extremely serious. And uh, not only is religion, by and large, under attack, but Haredim are under attack. I think it's extremely important at this point in time. I'm aware that not all of you are exactly familiar with the subjects because it's complicated. That's an understatement. But it doesn't really make a difference. Because when it comes to the nitty-gritty and the details, there are G'dayli eliminate Israel who are trying to take care of the issues and protect the community. What's important for us, what's crucial, I think, at this juncture, is that we, as American Haredim, even though our lifestyle is, is different in some ways, and there are reasons for those differences, I was thinking of discussing it this year, but I knew I wouldn't have time, and I uh, didn't really want to open up the Pandora's box. Maybe in Thanksgiving, the problem will be over by then, and we'll discuss it when I'll be back in Mitzvah Shem. Uh, maybe we'll discuss it all in Yushalayim. But the fact that there's a slightly different mahalach among American Haredim in different areas of life does not mean that we don't and we shouldn't give our 1,000% support morally, financially. When you visit Yisrael, all of us go to Yisrael from time to time. There has to be a message sent now that we are with them and we are one. It's tremendous sire and agmas nefesh, bewilderment, some yish, Baruch Hashem, not by and large, but people are really, really nervous. And they have to hear and understand from their American brothers, all Jews, but especially Haredi brothers, that we are with them, we will support them, we will make our voice heard. And we are proud to be Haredim, and we're proud they're Haredim, and we're proud of what they're accomplishing. There are Shutzim. I always tell American Jews that we have a unique role. There's a lot of learning going on in America, so we're Yisachers. And there's a lot of money going from America to Israel, and we're also Zavulans. And we have to take each role very seriously. The fact, an awesome Kiddush Hashem, I don't know whether the report is 100% accurate or not, I don't know, but it's not far from the truth. Um, phenomenal Kiddush Hashem. I've I got to believe even Yara Lapid was impressed, although he'll never admit it. But uh, they're in the process of raising an initial $100 million to cover the shortfall. Not only is that a massive schuss for American Jewry, it's a massive Kiddush Hashem. Basically sending a message, if you want, it's 
not the subject. A lot of, uh, I spoke to a lot of American Haredim who were confused. They said, well, I don't know. It's, it's about working. It's working so bad. Working's not so bad. The issue is not about working. The issue is about a concerted effort of a government to take a Haredi community and water them down, if not totally destroy them. And Ben-Gurion was very fry, but he was very smart. And the way they've been doing that for the last 50, 60 years is through the army. The culture is all-encompassing, and if you get somebody in there, they will probably come out, if not not from, but less from. You have to understand what's at stake. The, the Lapid is good. He's a journalist. He's a reporter. So reporters are trained in one thing, sound bites. The facts are irrelevant. The intent is to be hidden. It's all about sound bites. So all you do is, and Nebuch, he got some people to go along with him. All you got to do is, you could sell this to the public. You could sell, I could, I could sell this, Rahman al-Santabai. You could sell this very easily, even to American Haredim. We're not anti-religious. It's all about work. What's wrong with work? All about army, sharing the bird. What's wrong with that? So all the sound bouts sound very good. Hiding the true, very evil and destructive intention of what they really want. It's not about the army per se, it's not about work per se, it's the fact that there is a large and growing community that where an American fry yid will visit the pomegranate and say, wow, this is neat, this is great, look at all these potato chips, that means they're having a lot of kids, great, they're taking over New York, fantastic, doesn't say a, doesn't say a bad word. He says, we're taking over, we know we're taking over, we're proud of it, we're all ready with our hunter just to take over, we're packing all the kids in, and he's happy about it. He lives in New York. This is a democracy. It's not a democracy. It's a very, very small country with five, six million yidin, ten yibu packed in and they're fighting for the neshama of Eretz Yisrael. And they know it. So when they have more Haredi children and they're now also more than 50% of the system coming up in the first grade, they are terrified. So it's just a sad contrast. So the New York Times is writing, oh, what a nice thing. They're having so many kids, and they're getting married, and they're passing on the traditions, and they're buying potato chips. Gavaldic. And it's Israel. They're not too happy about the amount that so many potato chip bags are being sold. They're not thrilled at all. As a matter of fact, they're petrified because they realize that people making Yerida are not from, the people making Aliyah, by and large, are from, and the people having all the kids are from. So we've got to do something about it. There's another fellow in history who had the same exact problem. His name was Pyro. Same exact problem, not the same exact solution. This one is more insidious. Because if you start murdering people, you're not going to get away with it. If you start creating a, a culture and you throw them into it and you force them into it and you hold a carrot that you're not getting any money, we're going to starve you unless you do chinuch our way, and we're going to starve you. It's not about mathematics. It's not about teaching subjects. It's not only about that. It's about who is in control of the education. Who is in control of where your son is and where your daughter is and who their chevra is. Chazanish, by the Giyas Bonus controversy in the 1950s, when he said, Yehar Vayavr, Yehar Vayavr, we're just asking you to come work in an office. How can it be Yehar Vayavr? Chazanish says, the difference is it's your office, not my office. That's the whole story. There is a battle now, and there's only one group of people going to emerge victorious. As a Raya that they know that the battle that they're waging, which they think looks like they're waging successfully, can be lost, is based on public opinion and public pressure. And they're smart enough to know that public pressure can come from America. They know that because they're sending some of their reps to come lecture here in America. That's how I know that they know that what we say counts. 
Part of being besimcha is being proud of who you are. Part of being proud of who you are is the understanding that if there are other people who are like you or even greater than you, you have a chiv to identify with them and protect them. So my parting message is much more to the subject, is we live in a tremendous eight sarah, and when it's 65 degrees and sunny on Memorial Day, and you're going home to a barbecue, you sort of don't really feel that. Like, what's the problem? I got my Glock Kusher hot dogs and my Yashan buns, and it's after Pesach, it doesn't even have to be Yashan, but I'm going to keep Yashan anyway, just to be extra from. And I got everything I need. What's the problem? It's never been mamish Ganesan on earth. What can be better? You come to Muncie, I'll show you a real barbecue. <laughs> what can be better? Just sit, just sit out in your lawn, or you, you kick up your gavaldik. There are millions of Yidin who are in complete terror in Eretz Yisrael, and they don't know what's coming tomorrow. So take out some time in your trilas to daven for them. Unfortunately, we have to bring back the Zabrach and the Milosh Manasrei, which Baruch Hashem in the last hundred years hasn't really been too focused on because we don't really need it. So we sort of skip from the bracha for Panasa, which gets top billing, and then we zip all the way, and all of a sudden we're in Maidim. There's a bracha in the middle called Valmalshinim. Use it. It's unfortunately very Nogea. That's Tvila. If you're going to Israel, speak to people there and tell them we know what's going on. We're working on it. We're encouraging you. Keep it up. You're our Schusim. We need you. You're our Shutuf. And last but not least, with your checkbooks. Ani Yercha is important. Don't stop that. Stretch a little bit more and understand the real need. And don't think for a moment, well, somebody raised $100 million, they obviously don't need me. I think they're counting on all the middle-income people also to continue the flow. And Mitz Hashem, with our pride and our Simcha Sachayim and our will generate the Schusim not only for us, but our Chenu B'nai Yisrael and Eitz Yisrael. Thank you.